Sean Hackett. Sean is with Hackett Financial out of Boca Raton, Florida. And this edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Dawson Tire and Wheel, your premier ag tire and wheel provider in North America, helping people grow. Tractor Zoom delivering insights and dry shod boots to official work boot of the Moving Iron Podcast. Well, Sean, how you been, bud? I'm really good. Looking forward to uh, a little break here for the holidays and all and kind of recalibrate things, get ready for 2020, which certainly hoping and expecting to be a little more normal. Yep. Um, but I don't think markets are going to be normal. I think they're going to continue to be quite, uh, quite aberrant, wild, and volatile. Um, and that's, but also a lot of upside volatility. So I think it's going to be a. It was a it was a better year for uh, ag producers um, in the back half of 2020, and I think 21 is going to be uh, another good year yep. if if one can take advantage of some of these. Uh, higher volatile prices that I think are certainly coming. So Absolutely. Well, well barring a, a zombie apocalypse and a, a complete collapse of the dollar, I don't know that could get much worse than what it was in 20. I heard that asteroid's coming. That's asteroid. probably, yeah, that could be. Yeah, yeah that, that's, a, that's a real thing. So, yeah, there's uh, plenty of stuff going on in 20 that, you know, I, the joke I've heard a million times is, you know, the best thing about 2020 is it's almost over so it's uh you know that's that's something that i've heard quite a few times and, and there's there's no doubt about that i mean it's just been a, it's been a crazy year the first quarter yeah. of 21 is going to be a bumpy ride but um it really feels like there's a there is a some some momentum getting gained here as you take a look towards the end of the year here these these last couple of weeks of the year um it really feels like a lot of folks are just going to kind of call it a year and and kind of go go enjoy the holiday season and and not not have a bunch of crazy things happen but that being said um barring some crazy news coming out of out of south america right now this should be a even killed to the end of the year there shouldn't be a bunch of crazy stuff happening well i mean for the last month grains really haven't done much casey i mean just look at a chart that's just been kind of drifting in a sideways range kind of in a dull trade not much has been happening there's been you know, extra volatility and wheat up and down, but overall it's been flat. So yep. I really don't see that trend changing. I don't see you know I don't I don't see a catalyst for a big knockdown or a big knock up mm-hmm. until we get into January. Now once we get into January, then we have a lot of times the USDA in the January report will make their final call on production yield ending stocks in the U.S. and sometimes can make some initial adjustments to South American production. So that could be an important market moving report. Uh, obviously, weather becomes really, really mission critical in January. Um, up to this point, whatever has happened, most of adverse weather can be overcome if January, February is good. But January, February cannot be overcome if it's not good. So this is a really, uh, I think January is a critical time for some new catalysts to come in with some re-emergence of adverse weather in South America and probably the USDA lowering crop potential and ending stocks in the U.S., especially for corn, even more. And that could be the catalyst that gets the market out of this um, sleepy mode it's in. And remember, at the beginning of the year, there's a lot of capital that flows in looking for, you know, the big trade for 2021. And so there's a lot of 
money will move into certain markets. And a lot of times if, if they think the grains are the place to be, a lot of that money will flood in in that first half of January. So, so I would look for first half of January as the potential for some catalyst to kick this market out of its sleepy mode and, and maybe back into a more volatile environment. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I agree with that. I think as you take a look at what's going on, there's just, uh, there's a there's caution. There's a lot of caution out there as people start to take a look around what's going on and what they see happening. But for the most part, there is, uh, you know, like I used the example the other day that there's a there's a powder keg that some people want to make sure they get lit, and there's other people that are trying to trying to cut the fuse before it gets to the to the powder keg. It feels like so. There's just a ton of stuff going on. You know, like so. Let's talk about the box beef market for a little bit. Um, we don't. You know, cattle is one of those things that has been just hammered by the whole coronavirus thing, the shutdown deal. And as you take a look at box beef prices coming down, but but the actual you know live cattle prices haven't really fluctuated a bunch comparatively to what you see happening there. Um, where do you think that response from you know how the virus uh, uh, vaccines are going to start have rolled out, and and you know now we kind of got the presidential thing settled, and things are things are moving forward there. I guess what's your What's your thoughts on how the beef market's going to respond to some possible possible trends in, in the economy? Remember, that, you know, the cattle price, the animal price, is a function of how badly the processors want it right. and how much are available that, mm-hmm. want to, that want to come in. And so we had wild record high box beef prices you know, during uh, the heat of the moment when they were shutting down plants. Of course, that didn't help the cattle price because... Um, you know, they weren't able to process the animals. Um, so the box, pre- the box price going down is suggesting that, you know, maybe we're starting to see holiday demand ease back, which is pretty typical, by the way. There's nothing unusual about that. The bigger feature for us is if you look at the cattle on feed that we saw last month, we're going to get another cattle on feed this week. You know, we're, gonna, we're getting less cattle on feed, which means we're going to have less future animals coming to the market in the first half of the year. So, and Australia, after a horrific drought, are now in the process of rebuilding their cattle herd from a complete mass liquidation. And so their supplies, of, uh, our imports of their supplies are way, way down, are going to stay way, way down. So the supply side equation is going to stay snug. Um, and we think, you know, that as we move into the second quarter, uh, and especially into the early summer, as this, as this vaccine rolls out, whether it's the Pfizer vaccine, the Moderna vaccine, clearly more and more people are going to start to get confident that either I already had it, so I'm not worried about it. <laughs> right. I got the, the, I got the vaccine, and I'm not worried about it. Or either somebody's not worried about it. <laughs> but either way, I think it's going to make people much more comfortable to start going out and doing things on a more regular basis. And, um, and that means more restaurants opening, more people going to restaurants. And, you know, beef has a huge consumption, uh, you know, component to, uh, to that. And of course, the grilling season, you know, um, you know, should be, uh, should be uh, even more robust. So, so we're, we're pretty comfortable and, and pretty constructive this market heading into the spring. We think we can work higher, um, you know, over time. I think we'll have a little bit of a demand issue here into the end of the year and first quarter, but we don't think the supplies of animals coming to market are going to be overbearing. And so we see the market kind of just grinding higher. I think we said this last week and uh, we're constructive. We think how market can work higher. You know, we don't think it's a runaway bull market by any stretch of imagination, but you know, we think if you're a, 
if you're a cattle producer and you're looking at the April contract, for example, you know, we think it's possible we might make our way to 130 resistance on the chart. That might be a place that, you know, as you approach 130 on April, that might be a place for cattle producers to make some cash sales. That would be kind of a, a signpost to look for to, you know, where one might want to make some first half sales if you're, so. Yeah. Okay, so the other thing that I want to talk about, so we haven't talked about it for a little while, but the weekly export report that comes out today. Um, plenty of stuff going on out there still. China still seems to be buying stuff and maybe not in the volume that they were buying stuff, but there's still plenty of stuff going on. So as you take a look at this week's export report, what are your expectations there? I, th I think we've, I don't think the currently exports are really the driver anymore. Okay. I think if you look at the soybean numbers, they really can't buy anymore. Right. We, you know, the, yep. it says we really don't have any more to sell them. So, you know, I, I <clears throat> and, and if you look at the, if, if the USDA is truthful, about the corn market in terms of yield and actual demand, you know, increasing their export demand, I think we're going to be around 1.3, 1.2 bushel, two bill bushels of corn. I mean, that we don't really have a lot more corn to sell either. So, I think what the Chinese did is they bought they bought what they could, they bought it cheap, um, and now the driver is going to be can South America deliver? You know, can they fill in uh, this gap? Post, you know, so the, so the Chinese have got themselves filled up with U.S. grain into the first half of the year. They're they're set. They, they're comfortable. Like they're going to order, you know, truckloads and boatloads coming in every day. But can U.S. you know can the Brazil, Brazil and South America and Argentina deliver from let's say late spring onward when they need to? When the U.S. is going to be offline, and that's going to be determined by January, February weather, and that's why that is such an important component. Second crop corn gets planted in January and February, and uh, in Mato Grosso, and Mato Grosso is where the key soybean crop is in the worst condition, and where if we were looking for a problem to develop in January, February, it would be that central west Mato Grosso area. Um, so that that. That to me is going to be the focal point for a catalyst for higher corn and soybean. But I don't think export numbers are really going to be the surprise anymore. I think the Chinese did a great job at buying all this grain when our farmers are willing to sell, and um, they got a good price. But now they, I think they realize they they really can't unless they want to run the unless they want to run the corn market up to five or six buying whatever else they can. I think they know they kind of bought what they could. You know. Yep. Yep. That's kind of what it feels like. So. Well, good stuff, Sean. Um, I want to tease something here real quick. Sean and I did <coughs> a uh, interview with Dr. Uh, Valentina Zarkova, and and for those of you that don't know who she is, she is a uh, an astrophysicist and a mathematician um, that works for a university over in England, and she has was gracious enough to come on the podcast and, and do an interview with Sean and I about um, a lot of the stuff that Sean's been talking about. Um, whole grand solar minimum and, and what that looks like and the, and the whole science behind all that and how that whole thing works and and we're gonna we're gonna break that into three parts but sean out you know kind of give a uh your your kind of experience with that with that podcast uh with that recording and, and what you uh what your thoughts were coming away from that well what i came away from um is how uh cyclical uh the weather is on a long-term perspective. I mean, it was just remarkable. She talked about this, this mathematical equation, which we won't go into, of course, but she talked about this mathematical equation that was like a prism that when you, that, that you could 
that it, it, it mimicked the past solar cycles and temperature cycles. Uh, we, I think she, was, she said something like 90% uh, yeah. uh, co co correlation coefficient, mm -hmm. uh, really, really high, and that you know, we can then project forward um, with a high degree of reliability based because these cycles are naturally occurring, they're repeatable, they're statistical, they're mathematical in nature because she, the, her concept was that the solar system and the sun are this well-timed tuned clock that keeps, you know, and if you understand how this clock moves and the pieces that are moving and you can describe them, um, then, then you, you can really project out weather, temperature, uh, fairly accurately over a long period of time. And I just found it fascinating um, that, uh, that here's so much, and, and her her information came from established data right like data that's established that is that is real that is true that no one is that no one is is saying isn't right and she just took established data and came up with and but by the way it isn't anything that we haven't kind of talked about but she she came to it from a from that mathematicians physics yeah. point of view that was just fascinating i think i think your listeners are going to really really uh, get a better full understanding of what all this is and also feel feel more comfortable that what we've been talking about you know isn't some snake oil or voodoo doll uh you know uh, kind of information which some may think it's actually based in really really high quality sound science yeah um, very peer-reviewed stuff nothing i mean it, like you said it's there's nothing there that is um some disputed this that other thing it's everyone is it's established science that people agree with and have gone and and her and her conclusion you know, her conclusion, not that we want to you know, give everyone the whole cost, but her general conclusion is that what we've been talking about entering this, you know, multi-decade period of reduced sunspot activity, um, reduced uh, generally global cooling uh, activity um, is, is what her work suggests and that we're going to be entering, you know, these kinds of grand solar periods like she talked about Oort and the Maunder and the Dalton and, and actually went over, you know, some of the conditions that it were, that it were experienced during those times and, and, ha and the difficulty in growing food during those times. And, you know, no grand, two grand solar cycles are exactly the same, but one would have to believe that we're going to have similar challenges in growing food and that, you know, we're going to need to find ways to adapt um, and, 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 and get through this. As we always, she made the comment that we always get through it. And we will get through it, but but I think it's very clear that you know that, that business as usual from how we've been able to grow food over the last 30 or 40 years is not going to be the same. Uh, we're not going to have the same uh, conditions and the same ability to grow food in the next 30 or 40 years the same way we did it. And um, that's not only a liability, but it's also an opportunity if if you are one of those that innovates um, and comes up with those solutions that get you over the hump. So we see a lot of opportunity in the interim, though. In the first 10 years of this, which is the shock portion of it that we talk about, you need to get prices up, money flowing in, capital flowing in, investments flowing in to come up with these solutions. So that means that we're, we're looking for a much higher priced ag pricing environment. And for your listeners, uh, you know, U.S. ag producers, those that are buying used equipment, new equipment, uh, you know, it should be a pretty good time for, uh, to, to be a farmer, to be a yep. farmer. Yep, should be. Yeah, this, uh, some of that stuff was over my simple head <clears throat> when she was talking about it, but but a lot of it, she she really did a good job of explaining it down to where even 
even a guy like me can can understand it. Oddly enough, her math problem that she used to make that prism, same one I used to figure values on combine. So it, we, I, I got that math problem with no problem when she started <laughs> talking about that. So, <laughs> but, well, <laughs> same, same. Oddly enough, same deal. So it's good stuff. <laughs> Good stuff. <laughs> well, well. The bottom line is, I really hope your listeners uh, uh, listen in on the series, and I think we're gonna we might be doing something in January, February, uh, as a secondary um, talk on uh, on the CO two yeah. uh, relationship and why and why from her perspective, um, it's not a correct uh, assertion. Yep. And uh, you know, we'll let her speak for herself. But I, I think that you know, it's a worthy. It'll be a, another worthy and interesting discussion. To have a scientific approach as to why she feels CO two is not really the driver, and why a lot of the uh, purported um, claims that are being made are um, either over amplified or or just not sound science. And so I think that'll be another good series that uh, yep. I think we'll be doing. I think yep. uh, what we'll be doing. So. Yep, absolutely. So this this interview that we did here to be a two-part deal, um, and uh, hopefully i have that out next week, kind of for your for your Christmas drive listening. So you can, everyone in the car, you'll enjoy that that uh, that information as it comes across there. But um, Sean and I both will be kind of introducing what the, what the podcast looks like and, and the segment that you're coming into and what that sounds like. So... So I'm pretty excited about it, man. I think it's a lot of great information, very timely coming into this this 21 and 22 time frame that we've been talking, or 22, uh, yeah, 21 and 22 uh, time frame that we've been talking about here where, you know, we're going to start seeing some some changes in, in weather. And your so. summit, I think, is in September, I yeah. think you said. That, yep, September uh, The timing of your summit, I mean, right on the cusp of what we think is going to be this uh, mm-hmm. pretty crazy winter. I mean, it could be just a really wild timing to have – uh, that conference and to have almost a, a, a front seat view, I think of what you know the winter is going to look like and be able to immediately start experiencing it. I think that's going to be a, a really cool time to be talking about all this stuff and and hopefully um, by then, you know everyone's real comfortable to come and, and participate. So. Yeah, yeah, hopefully, hopefully so. Vaccines on us, so we're all safe. Everything, we still got to wear your mask no matter what. So just remember that. I, I don't. I don't care what we have to wear as long as we we get back to some some kind of normalcy again. I'll wear a mask if that's what needs to be done. I'm okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm ready to think for things to get back. I'm, to I'm, I'm, I'm an ugly guy anyway, so yeah, I don't me too. <laughs> no one wants to look at me anyway. I won't right. have to shave anymore. There you go. Yeah, let it ride. Get you one of these. Get you. A, get you a face coat. Call it, call it that way. All right, Sean. Good stuff as usual. Folks, want to reach out to you. Get more information about what it is you're doing at Hackett Financial. What's the best way to do that? Uh, our website is Hackett H A C K E T T Advisors dot com. All kinds of information on there to see if what we're doing. Uh, is a value to your listeners. Absolutely. I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. That's where you're going to find the latest editions of the Moving Iron Podcast as they come out. Um, going to record one here uh, coming up here probably today uh, that'll have uh, some information about some combine auctions that we watched. Uh, Aaron Fennel and I watched. Give you guys some insights on what we see happen in the combine market. Um, a lot of crazy things going on there right now. So, um, be easy. Uh, got a good information there. Check out movingironllc.com for the latest information on the Moving Iron Summit that has been postponed to September 15th through the 18th. I have that information up on the website this weekend, so you can guys can check that out. Also, check out uh, all the blogs I've written. I've just posted one here called Echoes of the Past, basically comparing uh, what's going on now to 2009 and 2010 as far as a combine auction or a combine retail marketplace looks like. So, with that, I am Casey Seymour, Sean Hackett. 
Let's go with some iron, folks. Out. Moving in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving higher time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving